Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, bringing you a special little Christmas time episode, mini-sode, solo mini-sode. Um, last spring slash summer, I started this series where I was writing reflections on each of the Beatitudes, and I kind of stopped at the fifth one, and life got busy in other ways, and I released the third season of interviews, um, but now that I'm taking a break and getting ready for season four, uh, I'm returning to this project um, with a new reflection. As it turns out, this particular beatitude connects well with the Christmas story. So I hope this will enrich your celebration of the Christmas holiday. Speaking of Christmas, want the perfect last minute gift? The Crab and the Cross magnets and stickers are available for just $5. There is a link in the description to my Shopify storefront where you can purchase these gorgeous four by four magnets and stickers featuring the Crab and the Cross cover artwork. In the previous episode, I explained a little bit of the symbolism behind the design, and I would love you to support the podcast by making this purchase. We will be back mid-January with season four. I'm so excited to share those interviews with you. In the meantime, you can follow me on social media at the Crab and the Cross podcast on Instagram at Mary Rose Depp on Twitter. And as I mentioned also in the previous episode, I have launched a brand new podcast called the Catholic Dating Podcast, um, a little bit more of a niche thing, but I think it's going to help a lot of people who are in this very challenging and confusing state of life. I think, they, I think there's a lot that needs to be done to kind of heal the dating culture, both in the world and the church. And so I hope I can contribute to that in some way. So check out the Catholic Dating Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All right, now here's my reflection on the Beatitude, Blessed are the Pure of Heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Where is God? It's the question of every philosopher and the cry of every heart. Christian and non-Christian thinkers have proposed cogent arguments for the existence of God centered around the premise that reality necessitates a transcendent cause. Just as a painting requires a painter, creation needs a creator. But where is the painter? Is she living or dead? And where is God? Can he be found amidst his creation? Or is the universe like the runes of an ancient temple, vacant of its ascribed deity? Logically, God's existence is evident. But experientially, his presence is obscure. Truly you are a hidden God, the prophet Isaiah says. Yet sprinkled throughout the Old Testament are great theophanies. In the book of Exodus, Moses first encounters God in the burning bush. Later, God wraps Mount Sinai in smoke and speaks to Moses in thunder. On another occasion, a cloud covers the mountain and the glory of the Lord appears like a devouring fire. To modern readers, these manifestations may arouse skepticism or envy. Most of us have never experienced anything like them, so we either feel excluded from God's revelation or simply doubt that such things actually happened. Most strikingly, none of Moses' experiences of God were mystical, 
They were utterly concrete. The texts do not imply that they were visions, locutions, or heightened states of consciousness, but external events perceived through his physical senses. However, mysticism has its own allure as a path to God. There are many self-appointed prophets who claim to receive ongoing revelations. Some of these figures develop cultic followings, and in the worst of cases, these cults become deadly. Other gurus, especially in the Far East, promise enlightenment and union with ultimate reality through ascetic renunciation and meditation. Some of these monastic mystics purport superhuman feats like levitation, surviving without food or water, or miraculous healing powers. In the Western Hemisphere, both ancient and modern shamans lead people to encounter the divine through psychedelic substances like psilocybin mushrooms or ayahuasca brew. These entheogenic journeys, which entered the mainstream in the 1960s, are currently experiencing a revival. In 2019, Colorado became the first state to decriminalize psilocybin, and now it seems like every New Age influencer is returning from psychedelic trips with tales from the great beyond. As Christians, it is tempting to dismiss these alternative spiritual paths, but they all point to a fundamental human desire. We want to see God. But is the Deus Absconditus a result of God's objective hiddenness or of our subjective inability to recognize him? At the Last Supper, Philip insists, Show us the Father, and that will be enough. Jesus replies, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In the Gospels, the disciples are notoriously slow to recognize Jesus for who he is. Despite hearing his words and witnessing his miracles, they still fail to comprehend his identity. Even Peter, who famously declares Jesus to be the Christ and the Son of the living God, turns around and immediately rebukes him for predicting his own passion. Likewise, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites continually murmur against God and even commit full-blown idolatry, despite seeing with their own eyes the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the pillars of cloud and fire, and the daily bread from heaven. These dramatic displays of divine power inspire wonder, yet do little to bolster faith. Why? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. When searching for God, our instinct is to look up. Surely the transcendent being dwells above us. Hence the planets, stars, and other celestial bodies bear the names of ancient deities. Temples were often oriented towards constellations, and religious festivals were scheduled around solar and lunar cycles. Early in salvation history, God too communicated with us through nature. He sent rain to flood the earth and wind to part the Red Sea. He told Abraham to look at the stars to see how numerous his descendants would be. But slowly God lowered our gaze. For the prophet Elijah, the Lord was not in the strong wind or the earthquake or the fire, but in the still small voice. To perceive God in a cosmic wonder requires nothing more than functional eyesight. But to hear God in the still small voice requires something beyond functionary hearing, silence and a pure heart. Thanks to social media, there are many popularizers and pontificators of the Catholic faith. There are the top dogs of YouTube like Bishop Robert Barron and Father Mike Schmitz and the podcast luminary Matt Frad. Further to the right, you have your Taylor Marshalls and towards the left, you have your Father James Martins. Then scattered about Twitter and Instagram are micro-influencers filling every niche from homemaking to tradwifery to fitness and fashion. Jesus forbade us from hiding our light under a bushel basket. 
and as a nano influencer myself, far be it for me to call people out for promoting their brand of Catholicism. But sometimes I wonder if certain purveyors of Catholic truth really know Jesus. Not if they are doctrinally sound or theologically orthodox. Not if they are practicing Catholics who are faithful to church teaching, but if deep down they really know the living God. I don't speak from a place of certitude. Sometimes I feel like I barely know God. Yes, I have a master's degree in theology, and I taught for nearly a decade before moving to a career in ministry. I pray daily and attend Mass several times a week. But my prayer, especially over the past few years, has increasingly included the question directed at God, Who are you? I cannot judge the hearts of today's Catholic media personalities, but of the father of Catholic media, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, I have no doubt that he knew the Lord. Fulton Sheen received his doctorate in philosophy at the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium and a doctorate in sacred theology from the Angelicum in Rome. He taught at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. for nearly a quarter of a century, wrote over 70 books, and hosted an Emmy-winning television series called Life is Worth Living. He was a priest for 60 years and a bishop for 28. The man was an expert in Catholic theology. Despite his laurels, Bishop Sheen knew that to find God, one does not look up, but down. He wrote, Every mother, when she picks up the young life that has been born to her, looks up to the heavens to thank God for the gift which made the world young again. But here was a mother, a Madonna, who did not look up. She looked down to heaven for this was heaven in her arms. More importantly, she knew that if we want to meet God, we must not only lower our eyes, we must lower ourselves. He wrote, Because Jesus was born in a cave, all who wish to see him must bend, must stoop. The stoop is the mark of humility. The proud refuse to stoop. Therefore they miss divinity. Those, however, who are willing to risk bending their egos to go into that cave, find that they are not in a cave at all but they are in a universe where sits a babe on his mother's lap, the babe who made the world. This message is not merely concealed in the symbolism of Jesus' birth or even hidden in his parables. Jesus said quite plainly, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven Whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I used to believe that orthodoxy was a sufficient marker for adjudicating Catholic content creators, but I no longer believe in that litmus test. I haven't rejected orthodoxy, but I no longer believe it is a pedestal from which we can look down upon others. The belt of truth is meant to be girded around our waist, not wielded as a weapon to deride and dismiss the less enlightened. In the words of St. Paul, What have you that you did not receive? If you received it, why then do you boast as if it were not a gift? Fulton Sheen had every reason to boast of his own brilliance, but he knew that the wisdom from above was found below. He wrote, At the Christ child's birth, only two groups of people heard the cry. The shepherds, those who know they know nothing, and the wise men, those who know they do not know everything. The very simple and the very learned. I've had the privilege of visiting some of the most magnificent churches in the world. Everything in these places demands you look up. The domes and spires, the high altars and stained glass windows, these artistic and architectural masterpieces successfully convey the transcendence of God. 
we are rightly humbled beneath these representations of his glory. But our Lord did not choose to inspire this particular kind of awe when he came into the world. Sheen wrote, When finally the scrolls of history are complete, down to the last word of time, the saddest line of all will be, there was no room in the inn. The inn was the gathering place of public opinion, the focal point of the world's moods, the rendezvous of the worldly, the rallying place of the popular and the successful. But there's no room in the place where the world gathers. The stable is a place for outcasts, the ignored and the forgotten. The world might have expected the Son of God to be born in an inn. A stable would certainly be the last place in the world where one would look for him. The lesson is, divinity is always where you least expect to find it. I would never discourage people from building and visiting beautiful churches. They arouse our natural inclination to believe in a being greater than ourselves. But the Most High is also the Most Low. The only time Jesus was lifted up was when he was in his most ignominious state. He said we would find him in the hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, exiled, and imprisoned. And that's exactly who he was on the cross. If there is any esoteric knowledge in Christianity, it is that divinity disguised himself as a little baby and a crucified criminal. St. Paul says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in this world to shame the strong, and what is low and despised in this world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart is not merely a sinless heart. A pure heart is not merely an undivided heart. A pure heart is also a humble heart. Mary, the Immaculate Heart herself, says, He has looked with favor on his lowly servant. It's a lesson as old as the Tower of Babel. We are not closer to God when we esteem ourselves. To find God, we should not ascend, but descend. Five or six years ago, I volunteered for the first time with a local program that shelters the homeless during the cold winter months. As soon as I walked into the building where the men and women were preparing for bed, I almost fell to my knees. There was nothing extraordinary going on. Some folks were already sitting on their cots. Others were going out to brush their teeth or coming in from smoking their last cigarette. Some were having light conversations or sending goodnight texts. But all at once, I was profoundly humbled. I can only compare it to the feeling of walking into Eucharistic adoration. I'm not a mystic, but in that moment, I felt so tangibly the presence of God. I knew that I was not there to serve people beneath me. These people were above me. Had I been in their circumstances, I would have crumbled. They knew what it was like to truly take the lowest place. My pride could never stand being ridiculed as dirty lazy, mentally ill, drug-addicted, and poor. Yet the Son of God endured no less derision. Yes, he was here among them. God is not too good for the lowest place. Many spiritual seekers want to find God, but don't know where to look. May I suggest lowering your gaze. God is not hiding. He's just not where we would expect to find him.